But I'm looking forward to uh, next week when we have a uh, guest speaker, Pastor Kevin Taylor. <laughs> looking forward to that. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a joy these, uh, this past month opening up Philippians for us as uh, one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I uh, appreciate the, uh, the privilege of, of looking at it together. So a few years ago, when my wife Nikki and I were leading Chi Alpha Campus Ministry at NMU, I, I put together a sermon series called The Bible's Greatest Hits. And the point of the series was to look at some of the most popular verses in the Bible and crack them open and dig into them and talk about why they were so popular and maybe even examine whether we were somehow misinterpreting what these verses were actually saying. So in preparation for the sermon, we asked the students to give us their favorite verses, and then I hopped on the Google machine and looked, looked it up and see what I could learn. And it turns out that there are quite a few lists out there identifying the most popular and most searched for verses in the Bible. And no surprise, you'll see John 3.16 on that list. You'll see Jeremiah 29.11. You'll see uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 on this list. And as we're in the book of Philippians this month and in chapter 4 of Philippians today, it's relevant to point out that a number of verses in Philippians 4 make some of these lists as well. One section that's quite popular is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. And Nate Musser spoke on this passage one month ago at the end of, uh, end of July. So I won't spend a lot of time here, but it's worth reading again. And we're here in Philippians, and this is the Apostle Paul sitting in Rome in chains, awaiting trial, a little bit of time on his hands, and he's dictating a letter to his friends in Philippi. So I want to read verses 6 through 9 of Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. It's a very eloquent passage. It has obvious application in our lives today. So if you missed Nate's message on July 30th, Find it on Silver Creek's YouTube channel after the service today. Find it on social media. It's definitely worth your time. So Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9, which I just read, very popular message. But the verse I want to delve into today is also on this list of greatest hits. It might be even more popular than this, uh, verses 6 through 9. This is truly one of the Bible's greatest hits. It's found in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. In the New Living, it says this, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. English Standard and some other versions put it like this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And uh, as we've been working through Philippians this month, several people have told me that Philippians is their favorite book in the Bible. And I say it's one of mine as well. 
And some have even mentioned that this verse, Philippians 4.13, happens to be their favorite verse. And it's not hard to see why. It's very encouraging. You know a Bible verse is popular when you can see it on T-shirts and coffee mugs and license plate holders and motivational posters and key rings and boxing trunks. Like Evander Holyfield had that on his boxing trunks. I see it on football players' eye black. When Tim Tebow was in college, he had an eye black sticker here that said Phil, and on this side it said 413. So uh, if you do a quick search later, as I said again, after the service, you can find this verse printed in all of these places. And standing on its own, this sentence, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, sounds like Jesus gives us strength to accomplish anything we put our minds to, right? It kind of sounds like that. If you have a big job interview coming up and you need some encouragement, you want some reassurance from Scripture, how about Philippians 4.13? I can do everything through Christ. If you want to run the Marquette Marathon next weekend, I can do everything through Christ. If you're discovering that parenting was maybe a bit harder than you thought it would be, I can do everything through Christ. Does Christ give us strength in these situations? No doubt, right? But does he enable us to do everything, to do all things? Here's a hypothetical. One of my favorite obscure sports is a game called Team Handball. Anybody familiar with Team Handball? A, a couple, right? Carl probably coached it. <laughs> the concept of Team Handball is similar to other sports like hockey, soccer, basketball, put a ball or some other object like a puck into the other team's net and then prevent the other team from putting anything in your net. It's a basic concept. And team handball is played in a gym and instead of kicking a ball or shooting a ball into a net, it's thrown. Just throw this ball as hard as you can into the other team's net. And after you watch Nate's sermon on YouTube later this week, you can look up team handball. It's, it's very fast-paced and entertaining but I really only watch it once every four years when it's in the Olympics. And honestly, it feels a lot like it was invented on the fly by a bored gym teacher. <laughs> it, has that, it has that gym class feel to it. It's like the Olympics one year lost a sport and they had this gap and they said, what are we gonna put into this, into this gap? And it came down to kickball and team handball, and they found a coin, flipped the coin, and said, congratulations, team handball is now an Olympic sport. So here's, here's the thing, what if we decided, as a group, just collectively right now, now that church softball is coming to an end this week, what if we decided to form a handball team with the goal of qualifying for the next Olympics? <laughs> I've never played the sport, you've never played the sport, I've only seen it in person once at a gym in Istanbul. But I think we can do it. After all, the Bible says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Does everything mean everything? Does all things mean all things? I think we can see that as much as we would like it 
to be the case. This verse has nothing to do with rock climbing and taking the bar exam and qualifying for the Olympics in team handball. So what is it about? If it's not everything, if it's not all things, what is this? So whenever we open up the Bible and try to make sense of what it teaches, we have to remember that we're engaging in a process of interpretation. Uh, the Bible is a collection of ancient documents from various genres that were written in languages that none of us know, addressing topics and cultures we're unfamiliar with, relating to geographical areas we haven't lived in. Sounds easy, right? We shouldn't be surprised when it sometimes seems difficult to understand and we should expect to engage in this process as practice of interpretation. And one of the main things to keep in mind in reading scripture is that context is king. We shouldn't simply pluck a verse uh, randomly or just, just because we like how it sounds from its context and then build a theology or set of beliefs around it. We should always evaluate a biblical idea based on context. What is the whole paragraph saying? What is this, this section of the book saying? What's the message of this particular book? How does this book fit in with the bigger picture of the entire canon of scripture and the entire work of God through history? And along the way, in addition to asking the Holy Spirit to illuminate a passage for us, we consult the work of people who have dedicated their lives to understanding biblical languages and cultures and so forth. So that's my soapbox. Now what about Philippians 4.13? If it's not about rock climbing and getting that promotion at work, what is it about? When we look at this verse in context, I think we'll see that it's actually deeper and more meaningful and more relevant to our lives than the surface application that might give us confidence to run that marathon. Remember that one of the themes we're, we're pulling out of the book this month is how to live on earth as citizens of heaven. This is, this is one of the themes, the through lines through all four chapters of Philippians. And this verse fits squarely in with what Paul is trying to teach his friends in Philippi. When we examine chapter one at the beginning of the month, we saw a few truths. This world is not our home. We are ambassadors from a coming kingdom. Our conduct on earth reflects on the king who sent us. And that conduct is to be marked by unity, righteous character as exhibited by the fruit of the spirit, and overflowing love. And then in chapter two, one of the themes that we focused on was that the foundation of all of these things is humility. Christ was the agent of creation. Scripture teaches that through him, everything that's, that's made was made through him. Yet he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross in order to fulfill God's redemptive plan. And just as Christ humbled himself, we are to live lives marked by humility before God as creatures before a creator and in humility before others. And then last week, chapter three, we saw that humility like this is possible only when we truly know Christ, personally and relationally, and not just with head knowledge and a list of facts. So when we read Paul's words, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me, we do so with all of this as the background, the backdrop. And we look at the sentence 
in the context of its immediate surroundings. And in chapter 4 of Philippians, the end of his letter, Paul is landing the plane. He's taken his friends on this journey, and now they're coming home. And uh, in, in chapter 4 here, the first part of the chapter, he includes some words of encouragement. Uh, verses 4 through 6, always be joyful in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you're considerate in all you do. Don't worry about anything. These words of encouragement to, to kind of wrap up. And then he closes the letter with some final greetings. Hey, say hi to so-and-so for me. The friends here pass on you know, words of greeting. And this, this pattern is typical of Paul's letters that we have in the New Testament. His words of encouragement, a greeting, and out. That, that's, that's kind of his pattern. But here in Philippians, he adds an extra piece between the exhortation and the final greeting. And this is where he directly thanks the Philippians for their financial support of his missionary work through the years, which is one of the main points of the letter to begin with. And in this culture in Philippi, where literacy isn't as high as it is in our culture, a letter like this would have been read publicly to, to the gathered believers. You know, a letter to the church in Philippi, you know, they would probably have different house church gatherings where this letter would be passed around and read orally. Paul was aware of this, and he no doubt wanted the words of thanks to be echoing in the ears of his listeners as they went about the rest of their day. And this is what he wrote beginning in verse 10 of Philippians 4. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now that, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. That's verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And here's our verse, verse 13, in its native habitat. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. We can see how this very popular verse verse 13, fits in with Paul's broader message. And then he elaborates on the specific gift in verses 15 through 17. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. And then a final update on his present circumstances in verses 18 and 19. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. In the immediate context, Paul is writing about the reality of living as a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's awaiting trial, and throughout the letter, we've seen a number of times where he uses the phrase, I'm in chains. I'm in chains. He might be in a prison cell. Um, most scholars, however, lean toward the idea that he's, he's in house arrest. He's under house arrest. But either way, as a prisoner, Paul 
would be responsible for securing his own food. They didn't have a prison kitchen that was cranking out gruel three times a day for all the prisoners. He would have to rely on his relatives or friends to, first of all, remember that he's there and then do something about it, gather food and take it to him. And sometimes, apparently, Paul had enough to eat and sometimes he didn't. Sometimes he had a full stomach, sometimes empty. Sometimes he had plenty, sometimes little. But Paul writes, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. So he's talking about being in captivity, but also this gets at his broader history. His audience in Philippi, some of whom knew him personally from his time years earlier when he was there to start that church, his audience would be aware of everything that Paul had endured while pursuing his calling as an apostle of Jesus. And I want to read this in 2 Corinthians 11, just to give a background on who this person is and what he's been through. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 23. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. Sounds like quite a life. And I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. This is what he's lived through, and yet he could write, I have learned the secret of living in every situation. The, the everything Paul writes about relates to his present circumstance in Rome, as well as all that he's endured as an apostle on the move. Verse 13 then, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, is not about achievement or accomplishment, but about contentment. And that contentment reaches back into what we talked about last week in chapter 3, where Paul wrote about the surpassing value of knowing Christ, the infinite value of knowing Christ, the only thing that gives Paul true contentment, true satisfaction, is knowing Christ Jesus, his Lord. And in light of its context, we could reframe verse 13. We're not rewriting scripture. We're not going to do that. But we can reframe it in this way. I can be content in every circumstance because I know Christ who gives me strength. I can be content in every circumstance because I know Christ who gives me strength. Our old friend Gordon Fee elaborates, Paul finds Christ sufficient in times of bounty as well as in times of need. This passage points up the absolute Christ-centeredness of Paul's whole life. He is a man in Christ. As such, he takes what Christ brings. If it means plenty, he is a man in Christ in that alone. 
if it means want, he is still a man in Christ, and he accepts deprivation as part of his understanding of discipleship. Given the context, Fee continues, this brief autobiographical moment probably also serves as a paradigm, an example to follow. He has just urged them to practice what he both taught and modeled. In the midst of their own present difficulties, remember they, they live in Philippi, a Roman colony, where the emperor cult is alive and well. The people say, Caesar is Lord, Kaiser Kyrios. But the believers say, no, Jesus is Lord. So in, in the midst of these difficulties, he's addressing them. And here is what they should learn of life in Christ, that being in him who enables means to be content whatever their circumstances. Paul is showing the Philippians that just as he has learned the secret to contentment, they too can learn this secret. And in that light, I want to close with three brief principles of contentment that we can consider and apply to our lives as we live on earth as citizens of heaven. The first one is this. Contentment does not depend on circumstances. If, if you look up contentment in an English dictionary, a lot of times you'll see the word happy attached to it. But I don't think this gives us an accurate picture of true biblical contentment. Happiness depends on circumstances. If I'm healthy, I'm happy. If my bank account is growing, I'm happy. If my GPA is trending in the right direction, I'm happy. But how different this emotion is from joy, which Paul, time and time again, tells the Philippians is their true calling. Over and over again, throughout this letter, he tells them, rejoice in the Lord. Put action to your joy. He understands that joy is not based on external factors. He knew that it's possible to possess and exhibit a joy that transcends the circumstances of life. In 2 Corinthians 7, he wrote, In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. That doesn't make sense to us, does it? Romans chapter 5, he said, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And then here again in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I probably don't need to point out that joy in all situations, this contentment, is not normal. It's, it's supernatural. We will face illness, loss, family troubles, financial insecurity, even persecution. It's not normal in in these circumstances, to be content and no amount of positive self-talk or wishful thinking or hard work on our part will make it happen. This contentment comes from the knowledge of Christ, which is a gift from God. It comes from believing that his love knows no end despite the trials we might be facing. We, we talk about in our country, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But I want to say, don't settle for the pursuit of happiness. Ask God to fill you with a joyful contentment that persists regardless of the circumstances in your life. Second, contentment 
demonstrates our trust in God. Contentment enables us to say along with King David in the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because of who I know God is, I know that he will meet all my needs. And this knowledge empowers me to face life without fear or anxiety. We trust God not to protect us from trials and trouble, but to be with us in our trouble. Jesus told his disciples in John 16, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Like, in this world, you will have trouble. I want to put that on a coffee mug. Like, <laughs> failed business opportunities 101. In this world, you will have trouble. You can see that on a t-shirt. But then he immediately adds, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Contentment allows us to say, along with Paul in Romans 8, that we know God causes everything in all circumstances to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes for them. The amazing thing is that God often shows his trustworthiness by meeting our needs through each other. Think again about the context of this letter in Philippians 4. In verse 19, Paul writes, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Paul is in chains in Rome, dependent on God for food. In times past, God demonstrated his power over the laws of nature by providing food for his people in supernatural ways. Think about the, the Exodus. For 40 years, God gave his people manna in the desert. Look at the Gospels. Jesus multiplied a few, few pieces of fish and loaves of bread to feed thousands of people. Yet here, when he could have done the same, God instead chose to work and provide through the generosity of his people. He gave the Philippian church the heart and ability to partner with their brother Paul in a very tangible way. And in a similar way, he's calling us to help supply the needs of our brothers and sisters. When we're generous, we demonstrate to God that we trust in his ability to provide for us. So contentment does not depend on circumstances. Contentment demonstrates our faith in God, our trust in God. And finally, contentment can be cultivated. Contentment can be cultivated. Notice what Paul writes. I've learned the secret of living in every situation. This implies that there was a time when he didn't know the secret. He learned it. He cultivated contentment in his life by the seeds he planted and the water he poured on his seedbed. And how did he learn this? I, I, I see an answer earlier in Philippians chapter 4, verse, verses 4 and 6. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Gordon Fee points out in his commentary that this is the threefold expression of Jewish piety that's found throughout the Old Testament. Rejoicing in the Lord, prayer, and thanksgiving. And we see this through the Psalms. If we rejoice in the Lord, 
if we go to him in prayer, if we thank him for what he's already done and what he's promised to do, we will plant the seeds in our lives that will blossom into contentment. Contentment can be cultivated. Paul writes, and we interpret his words to make sense in our context, I can be content in every circumstance because I know Christ who gives me strength. And isn't this idea much more powerful than applying this verse to winning a boxing match or learning a new language? In life, we'll face despair, we'll face depression, we'll face times of hopelessness, we'll face bad news. But because of Christ, because of our knowledge of Christ, a personal, relational knowledge, we have the ability to stand in his strength and he gives us the endurance and contentment we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your written word by which we come to see and know the eternal word, your son, Jesus. We thank you for your servant Paul's letter to the Philippians and the lessons it contains to show us how to live on earth as citizens of heaven. We're grateful for our place in your kingdom, for our adoption as your children, for our task, our calling as your ambassadors. And may we grow daily in our knowledge of Jesus so that we can arrive at a place where we say, because I know you, I can be content with whatever life sends me. We ask for the blessing of your presence this week, that as we go about our, our day each day this week, that you will give us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and that we can share this fruit of your spirit with those around us. And we pray these things in the worthy name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, the name above all names. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Coffee and other good things are out in the hub, so please stick around. And we'll see you next week.